welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Every episode, we talk about being spiritual beings, having a human experience. But what we don't talk about often enough, I feel, is how to awaken or strengthen our own spiritual power. Our guest today is someone I'm so excited to have on the show because of her selfless giving to just that, to teaching, to help all of us develop to the best we can be. Helen DeVita is an internationally respected teacher. In fact, she teaches at the Arthur Finley College and is also a course organizer, which means she develops new courses of learning and leading the teams of tutors on those courses. Her work takes her across the world, and she is also the creator of many audio CDs and video courses. She is well regarded for her knowledge and understanding of working in the altered states and trance mediumship, mediumship in general, healing, meditation, animal therapies, and communication. Helen lives in rural Ireland, and when home, she teaches extensively online. You can find out more about her on her website, which is HelenDeVita.com, and she has many videos available on her YouTube page, which you can find just by typing in Helen DeVita. She also has many online audios available, which I can't wait to delve into more myself. And if you go to the website CDBaby.com, and again, type in Helen DeVita, you can find out uh, more about those. So my intent is that this episode reminds all of us of who we really are. So a warm welcome, Helen DeVita. Welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. And hello to everyone listening. Oh, thank you again for being our guest today. It's, I, you know, I feel like I'm talking to a rock star. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, you, you imagine this little scruffy middle-aged woman in the west of Ireland in the wilds of the hills, and you're getting close. <laughs> well, sometimes people feel intimidated to talk to me, and I say, oh, if you could just see me sitting in my PJs having these conversations, I'm just me. You know, but we're both out <laughs> exactly. to make a difference, which is great. We can't be anything else, can we? Yeah. yeah perfect. Yeah. So thank you. So uh, for over 30 years, you've been a teacher, I know, but how does your story yes. get started? Were you a young person involved with, with this? Um, like, yeah, if you could take us back to how you got even involved in the world of spirituality. Yes. Um, I think like many mediums, when they talk about how it started, you know, they had their imaginary friends, they had their experiences and I'm no exception to that. And you know, I did have my so-called imaginary friends, but I knew they weren't. Uh, you know, at the age of three, you generally don't choose to play with a, a teenage boy and a 50-year-old woman. And they gave me their story of of how they were in the spirit world. But they seemed very real to me. And the story panned out with a, a bombing of a house in the road that I lived in during the war. And we, I discovered my house was bombed. Uh, and rebuilt on the bomb crater. So there were, there were a lot of things happening that uh, when I was very small and like most good parents are a little bit spooked or a little bit concerned and trying not to let you dwell on it. So they're called imaginary. But I think probably getting into those teenage years when 
you do all those silly experiments with Ouija boards and scaring yourself out of your skin. Um, You know, there seems to be a natural interest in the unseen. And um, I'm no exception to that. I scared most of my friends witless with Ouija boards and uh, have some very funny stories there. But actually, it, it was something that just seemed to be very natural. The other thing that was very natural was as I grew up and I grew up in a large family, I'm one of, I'm number five of six children. And my mother is a very, very good psychic uh, reader of cards and she uses the playing cards. And I became aware as I grew up that every Christmas this deck of cards would come out and one of my siblings would be sat there with my mother And she was giving a reading and I didn't know what she was really doing for a long time. And then she said what she was doing. And I thought, gosh, this is interesting. But she had incredible accuracy. And so when I was old enough, every year I used to beg her, will you do my cards? Oh, maybe, maybe one day, one day. Hmm. And that one day got put off. But she'd only do them at Christmas Um, or between Christmas and the new year. It was a once a year thing. But the accuracy was phenomenal, including actually the prophecy within them was phenomenal. She was able to see remarkable events that you couldn't possibly generalize about and things that were happening in the family. So I started dabbling as a teenager and I was dabbling with tarot cards. I was dabbling with astrology and I was useless at them. And but I couldn't stop dabbling. And and then I was dabbling with Ouija boards, but I was very aware of this energy and I was aware of presence. And we grew up in the city of Portsmouth in the south of England. It was very heavily bombed in the war and a big naval city, a big port city. And there were many places there where I just felt presence and that's the only word now as an adult I can describe it as I became aware of atmospheres I became aware of energy but as you do you've got this thing as a child haven't you in your family what am I going to be when I grow up and you, you forget that you already are being but you have to be something you have to be a box you have to be a label you have to be a profession or something and My siblings had all done extremely well. They were all sort of, you know, done very well professionally. And I went into drama because it was a great expression. I I kind of felt spiritually I was expressing myself, but I loved Shakespeare. So I became this drama student who specialised in character roles within Shakespeare. And I eventually ended up in London at a London drama school. And I got most of the way through the first year in London, I'd already been studying for two years and it wasn't for me because I realized it was great fun, but there was something more. There had to be something more that had more meaning other than playing other people's lives and characters, which is fabulous to do. And it's obviously meant for some, and I'm so grateful because we wouldn't have an entertainment industry without it. But, but, um, I realized I didn't want to spend the rest of my life doing this. I'd had a blast, but it wasn't me. So I left and I moved to the city of York with my friend Kate, who was my best friend at drama school, who felt the same too. 
And uh, York is known as one of the most haunted cities in the United Kingdom. It's huge for wow. ghost ghost tours and haunted buildings. And there's there's Viking and Roman remains and all sorts of things happen in York. But it felt right. And it was all about energy. I'd never been there before until I left and uh, left London, got off the train and I knew I was home. So it is about the feeling and it is about that, if you like, that psychic sixth sense that things are right or things are not right or things are I'm not sure. So it was already there. But while I was at college studying drama, I had a job in the kitchens of a local steakhouse restaurant. My job was to make all the, the the starters, the entrees and the desserts. And I loved doing that. But at the end of the night, you, of course, had to wash up. And yes. that was pretty boring. So um, I was the youngest there. They were, they were, everyone was a lot older than me with families. And so I was a bit of a rebel. And I was, uh, you know, I had about 10 mothers. You know, <laughs> they, All the waitresses would look after me. But I used to love what I was doing. But it would be pretty boring doing the mundane stuff like washing up dishes. So I brought in what you had in those days, the old radio cassette recorder. And I used to do what everyone did in those days. They used to record the charts off the radio and play it back. Yes. <laughs> like we all did. And uh, uh, so we'd have music and we'd sing and we'd dance and we'd make it slightly less boring. But these were all tapes that I brought in. Anyway, one day I was finishing off and my colleagues, my my second mothers, as I like to call them, were, were ready to get in the taxi late at night to go home. And I said, I'll finish off and I'll go home later. Don't worry, I'll finish off. I'm back in next lunchtime on a Saturday to to do a shift then. So I'm clearing up and I decided to mess about. So I pressed play and record at the same time on the cassette recorder and I'm telling silly jokes really I just remember talking about dinosaurs and in a very David Attenborough type voice and just being stupid typical drama student never stops and uh, I didn't think much of it but somehow I was leaving the place at the end of my shift and I went home and then I got a phone call the next morning saying, Helen, what's going on? I said, well, I'll be in later at lunchtime for the shift. And it was my friend Maureen who I worked with. She said, this is incredible. And at some point, I must have gone into an altered state of awareness, and I don't remember it. But my voice seems to change. There's a, a tremendous volume of beautiful wisdom and philosophy that comes through for about 20 minutes or so. I, I haven't got the tape now. I didn't realize the importance of it at the time. Anyway, the, they were very concerned because they wanted to know why I was there on my own in this closed up restaurant with this man who was talking into my tape recorder. Oh my. And they never, that had never happened. Uh, and the, the strange thing was, when I left that night, I remember becoming very aware as I walked out the back door of the kitchens of everything being very beautiful. It, I felt different. 
the stars, you know, the the, the trees, the, the colours of the cars. And I, I remember seeing in great detail everything in, in the car park, the, the tarmac, which just looked look beautiful i don't know how you say tarmac's beautiful but it really was mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i don't think i've seen it like that since but anyway um i didn't really know what was going on and um but i carried on with life and i carried on with work and my work took me back into education and I, my first i started doing some work with the local authority on um, working with long-term unemployed and I was taught to train adults and teach teachers of adult education and also specialized in people with with special learning needs um, dyslexia dyspraxia etc to to find ways to help them get back into the workforce because they were long-term unemployed and pretty disaffected by it excuse me and um so I'd begun really like that and then I went back into education after a few years and I was working with the social sciences and as I progressed through my studies and became more qualified and was doing more and more research I was working at the university teaching uh, social psychology and uh, with a a real accent on community uh-huh. and working with social services and housing departments as well along the way. So it was an interesting exploration and understanding that I was gaining all the time of the mind and the power of the mind and its power over us and how it affects us. So that was something that, that, became a very big part of my work was the social psychology and understanding the mind I I became passionate about the work of Carl Jung and archetypes and consciousness and so I had all this experience and I had all this knowledge and that I had read not not you know as an academic if you want rather than from a practical point of view but as an academic it was all there and everything was going along quite well. And then I went through a period of, of being quite ill and having to stop work. And I became very aware of the spirit world around me at that point. I was having, I don't know quite if you describe it as visitations, but I was having experiences. And I didn't, I decided to take a sabbatical for health reasons. And during that sabbatical, I just somehow knew I was never going to go back to academic life. And I wasn't sad about it. And, you know, it was like I'd I'd been, I'd done and I'd given what I could and I'd got so much in return. But I wasn't sad about it. Um, I just knew things were changing, but I didn't exactly know why. And then what happened was I moved I had a new relationship. I moved to another part of the country and a child had gone missing. And it was a very big case in the news where I lived locally at the time. And I knew this child had passed. But of course, her body hadn't been found and the police were looking for her. 
And the police had a very good reason for looking in a certain area for her. But I knew she wasn't there. And then strangely, a couple of weeks later, it seems like a couple of weeks, maybe 10 days. I can't remember exactly now, but we were driving home from uh, a relative's house in London with my son then, who was very, very, he'd only just been born. And in the car was this girl. And she just said to me, I'm over there. And we were right in the countryside. There was hedgerow everywhere. She said, I'm right over there. And I I remember calling the police and, you know, I, I don't know if they took any notice, but thank you very much for calling and for yes. your information sort of response. And the next morning it was on Sky News that she was found at exactly that spot and it was out of the police search area, initial police search area. Incredible, but I, Helen. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I found her, but I, I remember thinking she was found by somebody else, but it was at that exact exactly. spot. Exactly, yes. And I remember thinking, I'm not quite sure I like this. You know, this isn't. This isn't fun. This is awful. This is tragic. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. And I could clairaudiently hear the little girl in my mind saying, yes, but my mummy needs to know. My mummy needs to know because obviously the parents have been through this terrible trauma. And um, I got quite down about it. I always say I got very depressed about it, but I've never had anything like clinical depression. What I mean is I just remember feeling angry, frustrated and very low mood about this thinking, What's the point of this? Why have I been given this? What was the point of that? So I I had a few months where I was in this sort of state of frustration and low mood about it, thinking I don't want anything to do with this. I'm going to get back into work. I'm going to get back into the university. I'm going to start doing some more research and working with the students again. And uh, it's really weird because if somebody said it to me, I think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm in bed and um, I'm very tired. um, And suddenly I just sort of open my eyes and the half light of the room, there's a guy standing at the end of my bed, a very elderly man, very elderly man. And I can remember everything about his face and his hair and his clothes to this day. And I just looked at him and he looked at me and there was these piercing eyes looking back at me. And he said, stop feeling sorry for yourself now and do something positive with it. And then he was gone. And I thought, "Mm, yeah, maybe I imagine that I'm here. I am expert on consciousness and the mind and and just how powerfully, you know, I, I was studying people who had become paralyzed through you know, through their own minds and through fear, like shell shock rather than um, an actual physical thing. So I know the power of the mind and I know how that can manifest in so many different ways. But this was the feeling was there again. Like when I spoke of being in York and this spiritual place, this presence was there But I couldn't put my finger on it because you can't really describe it. You just have to experience it, don't you? 
with all forms of spiritual work, it's about the experience rather than the theory, the research, even the science. And I love science and I'm a mad gadget person. Um, you know, I've got to have the latest and I love pulling it apart and putting it back together, hopefully correctly. I, I'm a real, you know, doer and practical person. But I thought, yeah, I don't know what all this means, but yes, I've got to, I've got to really pull my socks up now. I really felt like I'd had a good kick in the pants. <laughs> So I needed it, and it, you know, I spent these times of cogitating on, on, you know, why me? What's the point? Blah blah blah. And spirit were back, big and strong. And from there, I started working with people, with groups. Um, I was, it, we just really got into the time when we had computers just that little bit beyond the old Sinclair spectrum where you could get on an email list and chat to people. And we didn't really have online classes and groups like we have now. I'm going way back in the early days of the internet. And I was starting to talk to people and we were starting to help each other. We were sitting. I didn't have a church at that point, but with my partner's work, we moved around the country quite a bit. And eventually we settled near London and I'd been doing various workshops. We'd been living in Birmingham at one point and I'd started doing workshops, which were basically, although I had all the teaching skills for adult education, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I'd, I'd read a lot. I spoke to a lot of people. It was all very spontaneous. It was all very lovely and natural. I learned healing there I learned a form of Reiki healing that was the original and um, it was really lovely but I ended up in West London and I wanted to do more with this I didn't know where I wanted to go with this but I wanted to do more and in the meantime I'm sitting but I'm sitting on my own there aren't any groups mm -hmm. and I'm developing totally on my own I'm buying every CD I can find, reading every book I can find. But at the end of the day, the learning really came from the experience. The knowledge was good to have. Um, it was good to actually have something there to read or to listen to that could actually say, yeah, come on, you know, get over yourself <laughs> every now and again and think, oh, yeah, I hadn't looked at it from that point of view. So. It's all about the education and the learning, isn't it? I love it. Yes. And and the, the only route I could think of that would have a good education would have support, and I hadn't even heard of the Arthur Finley College then, was the Spiritualist National Union. So I looked up the local spiritualist church, and they were lovely. They were very welcoming, but they, they were a bit suspicious of me when I said I I'm looking to join the SNU because there weren't many members there and there was nobody there who could vouch for me. A lovely church doing really well, really good work, but just doing it themselves and didn't have a lot of knowledge on the Spiritualist National Union. So eventually I found out who was in the area and uh, a lovely lady who I speak of very fondly, and many people do, and we have many great stories about her. Minister Jean Bassett took me under her wing, 
and made me very welcome. And I was able to become a member. And so then I started studying the courses. And in the meantime, I'm going to the church and I start running some groups and I start getting asked to work on platform as well. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I say to everyone, yeah, yeah, of course I'll do it. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't know how to. <laughs> I know how to connect to the spirit world. I know how to talk to them. I know how they talk to me. I know how to receive loved ones. And I'd been doing readings for quite a few years prior to that at home, which happened very spontaneously. People started ringing my phone saying, I hear you give readings. And I'd never advertised or said to anyone that I did. So there's really strange stuff going on. Yes. Anyway, so I then took a a 10-week course at the College of Psychic Studies uh, again, my son was very young, just a toddler then, so I couldn't commit to going away for a week. And I, every Wednesday night for 10 weeks, got the train into uh, Kensington and went to the College of Psychic Studies just so I could learn how to work on the platform. And there was a course being run by a wonderful medium who still works there, lovely guy, Anthony Kesner. And he... um was specializing in this course on working on the platform, working publicly. So it was perfect. And I went and I went for 10 weeks. And then the idea was you keep going, you sign up for a term, then you have a break, and then you have another term. And I signed up for the next term, but Anthony's wife um, became unwell at the time. And we had to postpone a lot of classes. And I kind of dropped out of that, but just started working. It just gave me the kickstart I needed. It gave me some good presentation techniques. And the rest was down to me in the spirit world. So I was working and then it, I was working all over the place. Turned up. One day I was at the Arthur Finley College because I said to my partner, I've heard of this college um, and I, I really could do with a weekend break. And my partner said, yeah, absolutely. You know, I said, it starts on a Friday and it finishes on a Sunday lunch. I'll be home Sunday afternoon because I only lived an hour away from it. So this was all agreed and it was all set. And I turned up and I'm thinking I could get some really good tips because the course was billed in the program as come on this this course to learn new techniques um for teaching circles and groups get inspiration for for all this and i'm thinking that's great because i'm running some groups in west london i was running groups i'm still sitting on my own for trance at this stage okay <laughs> and uh, i don't know if i knew what i was doing but anyway it was nice to sit so and and me and the spirit world were getting to know each other quite well by then I turn up at the Arthur Findlay College and it's a course about um, being assessed to become eligible to apply for the teacher training scheme at the college. Now, it's a different system now, but back then it was all in-house at the college. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's not I thought I was just going to get a few tips and techniques. Mm-hmm. Now I'm being assessed. Right. <laughs> anyway, I got through that 
And uh, I did the assessment, passed the assessment, and then I didn't think anything else of it, but I enjoyed the weekend. And then I was asked, well, you passed the assessment, when are you going to apply properly for the training? So I thought, well, I'll just bung in the form that they sent me. And then <laughs> then, then it, I seemed to come up at the top of the list, and I was called very quickly to start. So I started my teacher training there. and. Eventually, over time, even though I was sitting on my own, I was starting to get to know more and more people who were doing trams. And so we did set up some little groups. Now, they didn't all last that long, but they were really good at the time. And within those groups, there was great harmony. And um, it sounds corny, but there was a lot of love. There was a lot of love of spirit, but there was a lot of love amongst the group members. And that that is so important that there's that bond, there's that respect. And it doesn't sound corny because I've felt that a couple of times and it's, there's nothing like it. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Sandra. Yeah, because uh, I, I think it's the English thing, isn't it, in me, where you sort of, when you talk about there's a lot of love in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. There was a lot of love in the room. There really was a lot of love. And it was great. And it was great for development. And But I realized a lot was going on here because, you know, some people would say, oh, I can see your guide. And, and they would give me the name of a Native American Indian chief or something. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I didn't really know who my guide was. <laughs> I just knew there was this presence and there was this love and there was Sometimes there was speaking and sometimes there was just being and this this feeling. I, you know, I didn't we didn't have video cameras really to or, or record it at the time. But anyway, I, I wasn't sure it never felt right. Other people telling me who they could see with me and who my guide was. And I remember someone telling me I had this Indian guide and gave me this name and we looked it up and they really existed. And I remember at the time thinking, I think that's come from your knowledge from somewhere. It didn't feel right, but it was kind of an exploration into understanding the mind, what was going on. So it was never wasted. It was always good stuff. I'd never dismiss anything as fanciful or stupid. Behind it is usually something that's very significant. And... Uh, uh, I kept going like this. I went through my tutor training and started teaching at the college, which, you know, I, I love. And I've met so many wonderful people there and so many experienced, you know, people and so many inexperienced who've got experience to bring that, you know, they haven't even tapped into yet and that's so exciting so exciting when you see potential and that that's the buzz with me because I've always been teaching and training adults as an adult myself the buzz is the potential the buzz is that I love it I I, you know I could go on about that forever well I I love listening to you because even (laughs) even hearing because you know I took the one course in trance last year Mm. and have been sitting haven't really been practicing too much a little bit inspirational writing which is mind-blowing to me because there's words that I have to look up in the dictionary that 
came out of my fingertips, you know, in our, my mind. Um, oh, lovely. But just getting, when you say getting to know the spirit world and your guides, like I don't know where this is all coming from. So the potential, even in me, of what's possible, I don't know. But just listening to you now, and I think all of us listening to you now, just knowing that there's this untapped, like there's a, there's an exploration or a journey for us all to go on, you know? Yeah. So I'm feeling that excitement. Yeah, I, I get very excited about it and, and passionate about it. Um, but so I, I'm teaching and I've been doing lots of groups and courses and I'm applying my knowledge of the mind and altered states and consciousness. I also learned transcendental meditation and trained in teaching when I lived in New York. So I became very well aware of techniques of how to still the mind to still the controlling mind of thought to to go into that transcendent state of stillness of no thing nothing and that was something that i practiced for many years which i think has helped me enormously transcendental meditation or mindfulness i i think are, are, are huge assets in spiritual work where you have to get your mind out of the way and not be the boss of the situation. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that, Helen? Because I know even from the input I get about the shows and even where I want to be in mediumship, yeah. you know, I want it like yesterday. You know, I don't really want to work for it. <laughs> I think I'm a, I'm a lazy person, but I know that it's essential. And even, you know, I've had many people who said they've not ever seen um, a sign from their loved one who has passed into the spirit world. And I think it, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about mindfulness and stilling the mind, because I don't think we can be aware if our mind is real busy. Yeah, I agree. And um, there's an awful lot of talk about what's an altered state what's trance you know even down to physical mediumship and you know it's such a fluid thing it is such a fluid thing and i absolutely agree with you stilling the mind is virtually impossible within all of us there's a bit of a control freak you know it's not normal to sort of give over complete trust to something you can't see that's invisible and allow it to speak through you that's a bit weird when you put it like that, isn't it? And that's well, what we do. It's super weird. And maybe you can just touch a little bit about what, <laughs> what trance is, because I, I've taken you know, the course on it, but some people it might be their first show of mine. Um, yeah. And, and just what that is. I mean, trance can actually be many, many things. I mean, when we're talking about trance in the spiritualist or the, the spiritual sense of modern trance, we're, we're talking about the, the merging of consciousness, the blending of minds, and then we're allowing the human mind to remove its control of the situation and allowing the spiritual consciousness and the spiritual mind to do the work, to work through us, if you like. And I think it's a very beautiful thing that there is this blending, this merging. And the only way you can do it is by having those moments of transcending conscious thought and controlling the situation. And, of course, we've all got this fight-or-flight response haven't we that we're born with as babies so like i say it's not normal normally to sit and let something that's unseen and of probably a much 
higher understanding because they're not materialistically driven to either speak through you, write through you, sing through you, paint through you. So trance really is that merging of consciousness with a mind that is we call the discarnate mind. It's not a physical, it's not related to a physical body anymore. We are the the heavy humans, if you like, and we're in the physical world, we're in the materialistic world. But we're able to connect to, if you like, another frequency where which we often call the spirit world. And it is the world of eternal consciousness in my mind. There are many different theories and many different ways of looking at it. But at the end of the day, we are connecting to the minds that aren't connected to living people in this world. So what an amazing thing to do to realize that, yeah, we, we like your radio show, we don't die. We don't die. We are consciousness. We are intelligence. We are thought. And, 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 and that continues. And while we're here, if we listen to our energy, if we listen to the soul, I suppose, uh, many names for, for what it could be, while we're here, there are ways that we can stay in touch. And we can stay in touch through trance. We can stay in touch through regular mental mediumship. Many, many different expressions, I'm sure. But in the trance, we're allowing ourselves to remove the conscious control of the mind and our desires and our intentions to actually then move the intention and the desire to say welcome. Welcome to the discarnate mind in a very positive and loving way. I'm going to merge my mind, my consciousness. I'm going to get out of the way and you're free to speak. You're free to play the piano if if you wish. You're free to heal. You're free to paint. And be that beautiful, harmonious vessel that allows that experience to occur. Oh, that's beautiful. Helen, am I correct in saying that, um, first of all, it's a blending. It's not like somebody is just taking over your body. Is that correct? Oh, I wish someone would have my body. (laughs) (laughs) Well, me too, but that's a whole other interview. (laughs) That's a whole other interview. That's a whole other show, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, we'll do one, mediums and their bodies. Um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, it's it's a blending. Uh, they, they, they can't take over your body. I mean, you know, they're not, they're, they're not physical anymore. Right. You know, they haven't got sort of the control, you know, like I'm going to now move your foot and I'm not going to – I mean, what there's, there's an acceptance and uh, – an influence there's they don't take over your body but i do know many trance mediums who get a very strong feeling as if somebody has come into their body well of course they haven't they don't need to and why would they why would they then suddenly cloak themselves with all these blood vessels and organs no. and, uh, 
things like that when they don't need to you know (laughs) it's just no point is there but there is that kind of feeling that we're together and they're in me but they're not they're in your mind and your mind is your consciousness and so there is that merging of consciousness but your own experience of what you feel physically can feel as if somebody else is with you so they're not actually in your body they don't take over another question I have and I think I know the answer but I've known people even myself and it's we call it being in the zone sometimes time passes we don't even realize it and so I know people who have written music or poetry or have done some artwork or even myself with doing some writing and it's like I have the experience that I don't even remember yet you know, it was, like I say, in the zone. Is it possible that many of us are tapped into this trance state and aren't even really aware, but we're we're being helped by these unseen beings? I think everything's possible. But I think what you've described there, where you lose that sense of time, you get in that zone. Yeah. It's not always related to the spirit world. And it doesn't mean that the spirit world are with us. And... Uh, a great example of that, you know, is like when you're obviously you're driving and you realize you've gone 20 miles and think, oh, how did yes. I get here? you know, right. that kind of thing. And and I, I have a lovely example of a, of a brother-in-law who's um, in the music business and he has his own studio. And one evening I was staying and he made uh, a pot of coffee and he said, I'm just going in the studio now. I'll be back now and I'll join you for a coffee. Well, that pot of coffee went cold and 14 hours later he came out and he said, I don't know where the night's gone. You know, where all through the night and he was just on one piece of music, got in that zone. And I don't even think he has a belief of the spirit world. I don't know. We've never talked about it, but I don't think it was the spirit world that took him there. I think we're capable of creating that zone ourselves. But if you can get to that zone, you can get to a point where, if you like, your power, your energy is accessible. If you, that's where you intend it to be, and that's where your invitation is with the spirit world. It's quite possible. So it, it's a complicated thing, and it, it's it re, all revolves around consciousness. Now, I often talk with students about the fact that nobody has been able to discover where a thought comes from. You know, a scientist can't measure where the thought originated from. They can measure where it's processed and stored in the physical brain. But where did it come from in the first place? Nobody has been able to. No science has been able to establish where that is. It's there. It's We can call it the ether. We can call it the energy. But it just arises it arrives and it's a thought and then it's processed in the physical so somewhere there's something external and I believe that is the consciousness and the soul that survives or the spirit that survives to the spirit world so yeah there's this invisible place where there is consciousness residing and we can't measure it we can't find it but it exists And in the zone, we can find that place of consciousness and we've gone into the present moment. We've become, if you like, mindful or focused, either one or the two, mindful or focused. 
in the trance state, if we can get to that where we're mindful, we're focused, we're transcending consciously thinking, not necessarily having no thought, but transcending the, the desire to consciously think, and then somewhere, somewhere there's that blending emerging of consciousness that's eternal, that, that transcends this world and the spirit world or the world where our loved ones are now who, who have passed from this world. It's a really complex area, oh, but actually beautiful. Though. It's beautiful, isn't it? I love it. I want to ask you about something next. So I was on your website yeah, sure. and I love finding that you have online courses and what so much you have on YouTube, but I actually purchase your supercharge, your spiritual toolkit <laughs> uh, training <laughs> course. So yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's 49 euros related to $60 US. Um, but uh, I'm somebody that uh, has taken a, a couple of courses and I just, I've never really practiced or um, built that muscle. And you break it into three parts, this one particular course, sitting in the power, awareness, and intention. And I listened to them all last night, and I and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the three. And like this course that you have, it's perfect for a beginner or it's perfect for somebody who's you know, already out practicing. But could you just talk about what, what they mean, the sitting in the power, awareness, and intention? Because I think... All of us, and many of us, not maybe not all, but I know many people listening to the show, it's like it all sounds great, but how do I as, as a human being move forward in my own spiritual development? And I have a keen sense that these three things, the awareness, sitting in the power and intention are like three critical things that we need to know about and, and learn to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, it's a little mini course, as you know, an online mm -hmm. e-course. And it came about because so many students that I meet, not just at college, but um, who contact me. And, and one just yesterday from years ago contacted me and said, I need to sort of get my mojo back. I'm stuck. I feel blocked. And they use this word blocked. Well, they're not really blocked, but there's this feeling that they've just got to somehow get back into that zone we were talking about. And so it came about through that. And the sitting in the power um, is an exercise that many people have become familiar with. Um, I know the the late and, and beautiful Glyn Edwards used to do these sitting in the power exercises at the college for a whole hour and a half, you know, and, and it, they'd be very extensive and very beautiful. And he wasn't the only one. And, and somebody mentioned recently online who created it or brought it to the Arthur Finley College. And it, it wasn't Glyn, I don't believe, but I'm not sure. All I know is I was there when Glyn would do it. Um, but actually, there's many ways of sitting in the power, not just just that way. And it is about getting in touch with your own sense of spirit and growing it, if you like, nurturing it and feeling that connectedness and feeling that you are this power and this beautiful energy that is expansive. And you can sit in that. And for some people, they have wonderful experiences, feeling that they've connected with their God, for example, feeling that they've connected with their higher self, with their soul. And, and so it's a very empowering exercise to do. And 
the intention is very important to work with. Now, there's a wonderful book that was a, a New York Times bestseller called The Intention Experiment by Lynn McTaggart. And it's, it's been um, translated into oh, just about every language where, you know, possible, not not sort of indigenous languages, but every regular language that's in use today. And I read that some time ago and it blew my mind how important ten- intention was, where I learned that intention isn't something that you expect or want or I I intend to go shopping so I then go shopping intention is being it so if if my intention is to connect with the spirit world I have to create within myself the force the feeling the energy the power that I feel I have the spirit world here and then my frequency has changed to one that's attractive and it's changed is attractive to where I want it to be so you're feeling so, it before it happens. Yeah, you've got to be it. Intention, intention isn't something that's ahead of you. Intention is being it now. And so that becomes very crucial in mediumship and trance work, trance mediumship and healing and all certainly anything that's existential, that to the power of intention is key. And if anyone reads that book, The Intention Experiment, Lynn McTaggart, you will it's a collection of research researches and some of the experiments are fascinating where you think oh my goodness this is bent time you know (laughs) how did they do that all through the power of intention so intention is really key and it's key to this work now um so we got sitting in the power Intention and awareness is there. Awareness, yeah, awareness. And, and of course, it's very important, isn't it, to recognize what's happening with ourselves. So if we can build the power where we connect and have that sense of our own spiritual power, and then we are aware of it, and then we need to use it so we've got to understand the power of intention. We've got three aspects. We've got a natural progression to getting ourselves back on track and, if you like, removing some of the blocks. So it's like a little journey. And now I want to ask you a question because I did one of the exercises last night that I was aware of something on the ground. And I, I believe you asked just to kind of clear the mind and just let the eyes gaze relaxed mm. and then be aware of my breathing. Um, and then I, there's a worksheet that you can actually fill in or you, you encourage that after each sitting. And yeah. although I was only aware of my breathing and that spot on the floor, you have different columns for uh, sounds and colors and things. The more I practice this, Helen, will I, not just be aware of that spot in the floor and my breathing, but suddenly the more I practice, I'm aware of colors, I'm aware of sounds. Is that the exercise to strengthen awareness? Yeah, probably. Probably you will start to become more aware of different things the more you do it. And I certainly have over the years. Um, It's also not a failure if you don't. So it's not that you have to see a color or you have to hear a sound. But as your own awareness, you're, you're going into a state of mindfulness there and you're just being. 
And you're very powerful in that state because you're totally aware. This is often how animals are in in the wild naturally, is they're just in the present moment Mm -hmm. and they're being mindful. So even though they might be looking ahead at a, a tree or something, for example, they know what bird is in the tree to the upper left and they know to the lower right how many you know meters away is is the fox or or a pheasant or a bird or something so you are just being but there is this super awareness if you like a super consciousness that develops you may become more aware of color you may not it may not be that that if you like that center within your mind is is your your strongest area it could be that your auditory part of of your consciousness is the strongest area. Well, I love the exercise, uh, not to interrupt you, but I'm just feeling that yeah. I want to be aware of the spirit world. I want to be aware of signs. I want to be aware of whoever may be working through me in these moments of inspired writing. And I, so I want to develop that. And I can't help but think for myself to practice, um, mindfulness and, and yeah. awareness that it, it will allow that to occur. That's my Definitely. instinct anyways. But I want you bring up animals, which I'm grateful because you are someone who uh, teaches animal communication development. And I know you have a very strong love of the animal kingdom. Would you talk yeah. a little bit about animals and uh, yeah, and just maybe even a little bit about your audio, your CD, um, and the importance. Because I, I watched a video about you this morning. Again, I was your biggest fan last night and this morning. But how we're all connected. I mean, we really are. And I think, you know, we, we have, most of us listening to the show, have had a loved one um, pass into the spirit world. But many of us have had many animals. And what we'd like to know especially is are they still around uh can we tap into their energy alive or in the spirit world i mean would you just share some of yeah, your love yeah. for animals absolutely i mean absolutely I, I mean i came into it first by an exploration of skepticism and you know others around me saying oh, oh rubbish it's not true sort of thing we're on a higher consciousness and and then I remember thinking well we can't be because we've developed the means to blow up the world and animals haven't so we can't be of a higher order there right but, but that was just my thinking on it but um it, it comes from the basis really in me my own philosophy on it is well firstly we're animals and we communicate and we can still have a connection and still feel or know that our loved ones have survived this thing we call death. Um, they haven't. And so why would it not be the same for, for other animals? And so I, I started to explore that. I was learning it. I've always had a deep love of animals myself. And it started to grow from there and then I was started working with some animal communicators some really great ones and I learned a lot from each of them and they were all different they all had a very unique way of working but not all of them were so good they were brilliant at what they did but not all of them could teach and so I wanted to put it together I I was feeling very excited though I feel I can do something here where I can bridge that gap where understanding animals here and in the spirit world as well 
And it is about taking your mind into a different place. Of course, you know, I've taken quite a lot of flack over the years, um, especially on social media for it. But I don't care. It's water off. Literally, (laughs) the duck's back with me. (laughs) Good. If the duck doesn't mind. Uh, But... um, I have done, you know, yeah, what does the dog want to say? I, you know, I want another bone and, and rubbish like that. Well, <laughs> no, these, these, <laughs> That's funny. Know, these, these are existential things. It, you know, what, how is it any more crazy? You know, there are a lot of people who think we're crazy for believing there's life after death. We know there is, and we've had our proof. Um, but animal consciousness is just as crucial. And, you know, they are souls, they are living beings. And I, I tell you what, I don't want to go to the spirit world, you know, if, if there aren't animals there. That would be really weird to me. I've, I've seen them, I've believed them, and they do communicate. And, of course, the problem is, is if we don't learn to communicate with them in this world, we're not going to understand that actually they can still communicate with us from the spirit world. The majority of my work is with animals that are living here. Because I know they're fine in the spirit world and I know they're around. And if we can do anything to help their life here, then I feel I'm probably being a little more practical and being able to do something about it. But I I absolutely love that work. I really do. And this last year I was in Australia and I was very fortunate to be invited by the Australian Academy of Spirit to Uluru to work and I was working with Christine Morgan and Lisa Williams and uh, Michael Wheeler in Australia and Debbie Muse and I remember before I went watching uh, a YouTube of one of the custodians and elders of Uluru or some people may know it as Ayers Rock and this lovely indigenous Aboriginal man was talking about the fact that we don't own the land, the land owns us. And it's the same with animals. We don't own the animals, you know, and the land owns the animals. The land owns us. And it was a complete reversal of thinking where we're all thinking about how much garden and property we've got and our countries and their wealth and things like that, that, you know, how can we take land when it owns us? And I, and I guess, it, it, it was a very similar thinking to many indigenous cultures, including, um, you know, the native cultures in, in North America as well. Uh, and, and it brought home to me the idea that we have got to stop. It brought it home. It really brought it home into my soul, this idea that we're superior, that we're actually superior consciousness. The fact that our consciousness and our minds and our science has developed to such a point where we've got the threat of the world being blown up by nuclear warheads doesn't make us superior. So what can we learn from these beautiful animals who know how to be present, who know how to survive, who know how to nurture, who know how to love, how to have families and relationships and accept, accept that their life is their life. What can we learn from that? Because what's actually happening is the more you delve into consciousness and mediumship is we realize we're going on a journey where we're trying to be more like 
how the animals are present, conscious, mindful, loving, caring, grieving, nurturing. And we're going on to that journey to learn all that, to be better mediums and better people. They're already doing it. So they become my teachers as well. Mm. And and your CD, your audio about animal communication development, if we're interested in that, would that lead us through some of those steps to Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it it is about connecting and it is about learning. Again, going into the present moment. Now, the, the interesting thing about this, Sandra, since I've been doing it, where I've used those exercises for people developing mediumship and healing and spirituality it's actually been amazing because they've come back to me and say, wow, I get it now and, and I'm really getting so much more and it's so much more accurate. So it works on both levels. And I guess it's, cause it's hmm. good because we're animals, you know. That makes sense. <laughs> so it does make some sense. But, um, yeah, you can learn uh, the steps, through the basic steps through that. I'm just finishing off a comprehensive online certified course on the same learning platform as the, you know, Supercharger Spiritual Toolkit. I'm just in the finalizing stages, doing all the little tweaks and that before it goes live in the next couple of days or so, um, where you can go through e-learning, but also you can take it further with me as well if you want to. Oh, I love it. Go to a professional sort of level. Yeah. And Uh, the person yeah, who's wonderful. listening right now, this might already be available by the time you are <laughs> listening to this episode. And, and you can go to HelenDeVita.com. Helen, what is Eagle Lodge while we're still on the topic of animals? Yeah, Eagle Lodge is our home. It's the name of our home. You don't, you don't have uh, numbers here. We're in rural west of Ireland. And uh, the nearest town is about 20 minute drive. And wow. um, yeah. when we bought the house um which it's a very long another story another radio show perhaps but there's a long spirit we, we we got the house in a very spiritual way um we were looking for the right place in the west of ireland we knew we wanted to come to the west of ireland have a place where we could feel really good surrounded by nature but also help any animals and we started looking on the internet for properties and jackie uh, my wife found this place and there was just a picture and the first thing we saw was this big white wing because the computer screen had been nudged and had suddenly enlarged the whole computer screen. Hmm. And we thought, whoa, what, what's that? It's a great big wing. And when we zoomed it back in, there were two white eagle stone eagles on the pillars of this property and they're still there now. They need a good paint at the moment, but they're still there. And... I thought we can't call it White Eagle Lodge because there is a White Eagle Lodge in the UK that is a spiritual centre um, in, I think it's in Hampshire. It's just on the border of Hampshire and Surrey. And we we decided to call it Eagle Lodge because the house looks like a lodge house. So it was the easiest name for it, Eagle Lodge. And you have many animals? Yeah. Oh, what, we got six goats at the moment um four dogs uh about 12 hens i think and a couple of cockerels there probably have probably having a fight now we've got donkeys as well we're a lot of donkeys have been abandoned 
when the sadly when the, the bad times financially came for Ireland, a lot of animals people couldn't look after them, so there was a surplus of animals that needed care, and we we had four, and at the moment we've got two. One mum uh, we didn't know was pregnant when we got her, and she gave birth last summer, and she's now with mum about eighteen miles away from us being looked after by a farmer with some uh, Connemara ponies. So so they're doing really well because the problem is in Ireland, the land's pretty boggy. If it rains a lot, our field does flood. So, yes. so they were transferred up there. So they have more land to work with while the field is boggy. So we've got two here and the six goats, the hens and the dogs. And oh, we've got, Irish red hairs, natural wildlife around us, the most amazing wildlife around us. It sounds extraordinary and like a yeah. very healing place. Could we touch on, just change the subject a little bit about uh, physical mediumship? It, it's yeah, something that I'm, I'm like, I'm super interested where I'm at right now is uh, developing trance, trance, um, and also uh, learning about uh, physical mediumship because to me it boggles the mind uh, <laughs> that that it could be possible it sounds like something out of ghostbusters or it sounds like something that's got to be fraudulent but i've witnessed some things that i thought mm, i don't think so so can i just get your take a little bit on physical mediumship and uh yeah yeah i mean you know you, you go back in all the ancient texts and that there there's references to it so we know this isn't just something that it was a phenomena that was created in the Victorian era, so post um, the Fox Sisters and the the birth of spirit modern spiritualism. This is something that's always been with us, and uh, it it is a very different form of mediumship where the energy and power of the medium and the energy and power of the environment are, if you like, being somehow changed to create phenomena, whether it's to move something, whether it's to manifest um, a physical resemblance to a person or a voice, for example. And it's the intelligence of the world, if you like, working with that energy. Some people call it ectoplasm. That was the uh, traditional sort of Victorian spiritualist way it would be called ectoplasm. And people talk now about it being called something else. And, of course, then you have something which um, Robin Foy had with the, the skull experiments, which were energy-based physical mediumship phenomena. But the benchmark people always say is that if it's genuinely physical, everyone will experience the same thing. Right. So it's not subject, that mental mediumship is something that's subjective to the mind. So I, you know, I, I might see uh, a demonstration of mediumship and um, something feels really right or really great with it and another person doesn't think the same because my I'm seeing something different to what somebody else is and, and you know, how we perceive meaning and 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 what that is to us is very important but but that's subject to us mentally in our mind and how we process that if you know if we all see a cow in the middle of the road 
which is a very Irish thing, actually, um, <laughs> where I live. I, we all see a cow in the road. And it's the same kind of thing with the physical mediumship. We're all going to see, hear or experience the same thing on a physical level. So how that energy is now, whether it's ectoplasm, whether it's energy, whatever you want to call it, doesn't really matter. There is some way that certain mediums are able to sit and develop that, or it has, in some cases, happened spontaneously. If you go back into history, and if you look into indigenous cultures where trance and physical mediumship was quite normal, and, you know, even in the Bible, they talk about Paul and the transfiguration of Paul and stuff like that. We've got lots of references to the phenomena of physical mediumship without in the same way as now you sit for it, you develop it, you have people come and watch it, give power to you um, or prove it. And unfortunately it's become an area that, you know, people feel it's constantly got to be proved rather than, I like to think we go to these things for the joy of spirit and it's not joyful if you don't feel spirit in there, (laughs) but but they're waiting for the whistles and the bells and, and the glamour and the circus performance. And that's not really what it's about. But but there are mediums who have developed this ability to to have this phenomena occur. And not just mediums, many people over thousands of years. So it's objective. It's not something that mind can decide is it there or isn't there. It's like a physical thing. So wow. like the cow in the road, it's either there or it isn't. And that what's, that's what makes it physical. And everyone will see there's a cow in the road. Um, but, you know, I might, I might, you know, be sat with you and say, I can see your grandfather, but you can't see him. That's mental. That's my mind right. showing me it. Hmm. But when everybody says, yeah, oh, my goodness, there he is. There's the guy. When everybody can see that, then it's physical. What I've experienced so far, Helen, is just things happening in the dark. Mm. And have you? And and not. And I do think what I've witnessed is is valid. Um, Yeah, I do because no one's getting rich off of it, and it's filled with love and and people's voices coming through of deceased loved ones. And I mean, it's great stuff. But have you? experienced or do you believe that more is possible uh, in the light or even in the dim light well yeah i mean you know if you go back thousands of years ago um nobody speaks about sitting in a blacked out room for this to happen you know it just didn't it, you know i, I mean I, and i've seen it for myself in the desert i've i've seen what the, the truck can you share I, i've seen materialization <laughs> at, at um at dusk and uh of you know the the grandmothers walking around with their wisdom and and speaking in another tongue and and i've seen that as if they are physically there and we all did and we all responded to it and it was a very rare privileged experience that i had because normally the tribal elders don't allow women to see this uh, but it does happen in a lot of cultures already and and some in in the middle of the desert in blazing sun so it is possible i'm wow. not saying it's possible <laughs> for every medium right but and oh it, i know and and the this has become more 
recent, I think, in terms of the last 200 years where people have sat and they've sat in the dark. And um, and I think certainly if you develop in the dark, it's very hard to move it into the light. Right. I sit for trance in red light and um, I never claim I'm a physical medium. Um, but we have experienced some phenomena and, and there was some when I sat for trance last year on a course I did called Arthur's Gift in gratitude to Arthur Finlay. And um, Shannon Taggart was there and took some photographs. But what was interesting was there was transfiguration and she took amazing photographs where uh, it's just not me um you know like a little wizened old man with with a bald head and and stuff like that um and every the interesting thing was people reported back that what came out on the photograph was what they saw they witnessed they all witnessed and they witnessed the smells of ectoplasm and i i don't know i mean all i say is i sit for trance and i certainly have no intention to develop it possibly never even to sit for it again because if it happens it happens spontaneously it's not my desire and it's not my ambition um but i have seen an awful lot without blackout conditions and i've experienced blackout conditions in seances as well so i've experienced both and i think it's very hard to judge and it is an area that, that does actually cause an awful lot of debate and sometimes yes. unpleasant debate. And it seems to create an awful lot of conflict. And I'm very sad about that because it should be a very beautiful experience. I always feel that, hey, if we can just sit for the love of spirit, then it's going to be right, whatever happens. Whether I would say, actually, if nothing happens, it's tough. We've all sat for spirit and that's all we're going to do. And if anything does happen, lovely. If nothing happens, lovely. Mm-hmm. We've sat for spirit. And that that's my approach to it. But I don't think, you know, there's a lot of debate about this and the scientists will all come out the cupboard and they'll be much more qualified than me. But I studied color therapy and I do know that infrared and red, the red, the vibration, the frequency of red light filters out ultraviolet light which is why in the old days you know when you used to develop the photographs it would be in a dark room with a red light yes and then that way the ultraviolet light wouldn't spoil the photographic image that was developing in all the little trays of chemicals so we we have a good uh, understanding there that red light actually does filter out ultraviolet light where that fits in physical mediumship is an, is another thing because I was given to understand that it's the ultraviolet rays that can be damaging to the medium if they're introduced when the ectoplasm is being produced. It can cause them to recess mm-hmm. so fast. It can cause physical damage. So... In theory, if that is all correct, there's no reason why any physical medium could not sit in red light because if they're producing ectoplasm and they're worried about the danger, if there's no ultraviolet light because it's being filtered out, there's no danger. So there's lots of different ways of looking at it, but there are people who 
you know, um, understand a lot more about light spectrums and filters and things like that than I do. But that's that's where my knowledge is on it. I love it. I, I, just reading even the book about Alec Harris, you know, uh, his wife had written, but d- the stories are things happening in red light and people's loved ones that everybody can see uh and they're alive. It's just, yeah, it's baffling wonderful. to the mind that that could happen. Even what you witnessed in the desert, it's just baffling. And well, I'm inspired to keep searching. It is. Well, I'll tell you a lovely, I'll tell you a lovely story. And it's my wife, Jackie. And, and Jackie is not a medium. Well, she doesn't know it, but she, mm-hmm. she she doesn't work with it. You know, she does her thing. I do my thing. And we're both very interested in each other's work. When she was a teenager, she was dragged along by her mother because her mother had been invited to this seance in South London. I think it was in Balham in South London. She can't even remember the medium's name. Now, at 17, she was pretty scared. <laughs> she wasn't into this at all. She's led down some steps into the basement of this terraced house in Balham in South London, which is all kitted out with nice chairs and carpets. And this is the seance room. The medium's there, who's an elderly man, and it's all in red light. He goes into the cabinet, which is open the whole time. You can see him the whole time. Uh, Trumpets come round and speak to people. Loved ones were being spoken to through the trumpets. Now, that's something I have a problem with. The trumpet don't fly just for the heck of it. Trumpet's there as an amplifier in a seance room. So, you know, that it's got a purpose. And I do understand, of course, while people are developing, that may happen. But anyway, so that's happening. And then the medium is fast asleep, slides off the chair, is fast asleep on the floor. Everyone can see him. It's in regular bright red light. And then materializes in front of them, this Egyptian man, not an ancient pharaoh, an ordinary Egyptian man. And they're all seeing this in red light. At the same time, they can see the medium is so many feet away, fast asleep on the floor. Mm-hmm. And the regulars in this seance room are talking to him. He's He obviously turns up regularly, this physical apparition of of the Egyptian and they know his name. They have a conversation. And then after a little while, he just sort of disappears, dissipates. And the medium wakes up, gets up on the chair and they say, right, time for a cup of tea now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Now I've been a medium and working with this professionally for so many years now. And I've never experienced anything as clear as that. The desert experience was very clear. But in this, in the sense of a traditional seance, uh, you know, a, a spiritualist modern day seance or a spiritual modern day seance, I've experienced the indigenous stuff. But this, oh, have you, know. you seen things float around or anything in, in light? Those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we we also have to be very aware of the power of the brain as well okay and but but yes i have now whether that's related to the spirit world i don't know but i'll share with you and and the listeners something that's actually quite personal but actually explains something really Mm -hmm. important so so last year i 
started thinking that Jackie wasn't cleaning out the fireplace very well because I had this smell of burning and it wasn't very nice. And this went on. And so I said, are you sure you cleaned that grate out today, which was a bit mean of me? And she said, yeah, really well. And it would be spotless. But I could smell burning. And everywhere I went, I could smell this burning. And it was a horrible chemical smell. Anyway, I started working in Holland and the smell started again then. And I thought, oh, the neighbours are having a fire. And it's it's a smell like you're burning lots of plastic wire and plastic coated wires or something. Anyway, it is so real, I tell you. Now, I was flying back from Amsterdam and I got that smell on the plane and I looked around and I thought, why isn't anyone panicking? Because this plane's on fire. Because it's only you that smells it, right? Because it's only me. Mm -hmm. So I went and I had loads of tests and I went and saw a neurologist. And there's a glitch in the left temporal lobe of the brain, which is the center that creates this smell. And it is so real, I tell you, and I can't get away from it. I mean, you can take drugs and all sorts of medications for it. But it's a form of epilepsy. It's a mild form. But nevertheless, this particular form of epilepsy, wherever you have it in the brain, will have a different phenomena. So I get the smell of burning and think everyone's on fire. Some people get strange tastes. Some people get precognition and can tell you in advance what's going to happen. They get uh, deja vu. They get jamais vu. And uh, years ago, it reminds me of a patient I worked with who who had this very severely and I forgot all about her. But she could tell you the script of EastEnders two weeks in advance and we would all take notes and then we'd sit down and watch EastEnders two weeks later and it was word for word. Amazing. And it's a, that is a phenomena of uh, uh, an event in the brain. So. Now I have to think, if I see something floating around the room, is it my brain or is it the spirit? Yes, right. So we need the presence of spirit because the brain can do wonderful, strange and horrible things. But if more than one person experiences it, say a ball oh, yeah, floating yeah. in the room. Yeah, uh, yeah if you do, that's, hap- that's, that's physical phenomena, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. There's a quote that I found on some website, and I don't know if you pronounce Charles Richard or Charles Richet. He says, I never said it was possible. I only said it was true. (laughs) (laughs) So we may not know how these things are possible. Yeah. And we might not have to if it really helps with our growth as a human being, with our healing. Uh, yeah. But I can't help but believe if some of these things have happened in the past and you've witnessed them and other people have and I've witnessed limited amounts, like what else can be possible? It's very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, well, yeah. Infinite potential, isn't it? There? It is. Well, Helen, our time has gone by really fast as it does. I don't mm-hmm. want to keep you too much longer. But if you don't mind, I just if you would just talk a little bit about um, some of your audios and how people can get in touch with you. Because I, I know your most recent one is Holding the Space for Spirit. Yeah. Um, and I feel just to the listener right now, not all of us can attend the Arthur Finley College That's to meet right. Helen. Mm-hmm. But between all the free things you have, you have a free audio 
three-minute free mindfulness that you have on your website. You have so many things on YouTube. You are a giver. And I do know because you've given so much that I feel safe actually purchasing something from you because you're not, you know, and everything's got a money back guarantee within 30 days. I mean, you have integrity, but I personally want to learn more and I want to use some of your CDs and um, very inspired, but maybe talk a little bit about what you offer because many of us want to tap into our spirituality a little more. And uh, and I think you. you have the resources. Thank you. Yes. And it's in recognition of the fact that I, I I totally respect that not everybody can make the journey to the Arthur Finlay College. It's a very big commitment for many people yes. on lots of different levels. So that 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 was why I've been inspired to do the online courses as well. And they're building up, but they take a long time to create um, the CDs. There's obviously there's the learning the basics and the ability to communicate with animals. There's the sitting in the power one, which is also available freely on YouTube. Um, But it does, if you have the CD, you can download it. And there's a second track on there as well. The answer where you go to the spirit world with your questions and just allow yourself to sit in that presence to find the answers. And the, the series of trance ones I've done trance one, two and three, The first one is about getting to know the presence of different um, inspirers who work with you. So you would feel very different if it's your your main one for philosophy to the one who comes through for the creative or for the healing aspect. So it's about really getting to know that energy and feeling comfortable so you recognize it, trust it and can then surrender. The second one, trance two, is about trance healing. And um, I love trance healing. It's very, very special to me. I love teaching it, but I love doing it and I love receiving it as well. And the third one is more intense uh, exercises that even though it's trance, it's about allowing you to take the mind further away so that if you wanted to sit for physical mediumship, these exercises could be very helpful. Um what else have we got? We've got some well, others. Well, the There's holding one on. your new one, the holding the space for spirit. Yeah, I mean this this was uh, a term I started using quite some years ago. In the teaching was just hold the space, and when you hold the space, it's beautiful. And it actually comes from the uh, the world of palliative care, where nurses in hospices and and you know end of life care, where you're trained to just hold the space. So. You can be exactly who you need to be. Mm-hmm. You, nothing, no request is ridiculous. And you can feel you can just be how you need to be at that time in your life. That's so important to get right. And if we do that with the spirit world, we stop putting judgments and expectations and we get our ego out the way. So if we learn just to hold space then we're not complicating it with worry. We're not complicating it with expectation. We're just allowing the mind to still become mindful, hold the space for the spirit and get to know them. And as a very quick example, I know as we're coming to a close now, but um, I often get students just to hold the space and bring someone from the spirit world, a loved one for someone in the group, just sit there with them. And You can feel it builds and builds and builds until the relationship and the closeness is there that the love and the presence and the power of 
their information is amazing. So it's important to know to just hold the space for spirit rather than be there to expect to communicate all the time. Mm, beautiful. Makes us makes us better mediums and I think it makes us better people. Oh, that's just so, terrific. Yeah, they're they're all you can they're all on my website, which is my name dot com and um you can download them from CD Baby. The shop at the Arthur Finley College, if you are there, tends to have them as well. So the trance ones and the animals. Um, but these days, you know, it's so easy, isn't it? We can just download it. Well, I'll be back at Arthur Finley June 9th to attend yeah. the course and meet you in person. Oh, no, I'm really looking forward I to that. Know. I'm really looking forward to that. Do you have any closing words or inspiration you want to share? Just final thoughts, Helen, for our audience. Now you put me on the spot. Uh, just, just ask the spirit world. It's not you. Yeah. <laughs> now just wait while I sit in the power Get in the present moment, hold the space, and then I'll come back. <laughs> um, you know what it is? I think it's just, you know, it always sounds corny, but it is about the power of love. And my my biggest thought really was this, this, you know, it really is the journey, not the destination. There is no destination. There's no destination in the spirit world, you know. So let's just discover that journey. Let's just love it, enjoy it, embrace it, and support each other That's more beautiful. than anything. And no so, matter where we are is perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're all at the perfect place and the perfect time. Well, Helen, thank you so much for being our guest today. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed it, Sandra. Me too. Yeah, this is just really special to my heart that I got to speak with you and that we can all and all hear your inspiring words. And for our listener, thank you again and again for spending the time listening to these shows. Uh, and I do think that, you know, with all these great things that Helen said and what she does and what she offers, uh, I heard a great expression that is, is God will work with you, but not for you. So we have to be proactive. <laughs> and if we want to receive, we have to give, we have to learn, we have to take action. But I really do think there's this invisible force walking with us. And once we start uh, tapping into our own passions and you know some might be animal communicators some might be want to be a medium some you know you just want to develop your own spirit spirituality whatever that may be you start taking action and things will follow i really do believe that so um for our listener thank you for being here also our home base is we don't die radio.com where you can find over 200 episodes now of this show get a healing audio called how to survive grief i've written something called sandra's 19 reasons to believe in the afterlife. They're good. And uh, also, you'll be able to read my book there. And as a reminder, or maybe you haven't heard this before, um, the yearly afterlife symposium, the dates have been scheduled for 2018, September 14th through 16th in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a great way to meet like-minded people and find out what's happening cutting edge in the afterlife world. And um even if you can't attend, still check out afterlifesymposium.org because you'll find some people that are doing some incredible things. It's a lot that Helen mentioned today that uh, you may have never heard of. And there's so many 
people in the world uh, doing some great things. And I want, personally, I want each one of us to find our passion. And when we find our passion and we're following it and we're sharing it with others, I think it really makes for a great a great journey here as being a human. So in closing, um, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on Earth is important. So I really want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.